This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. You know what? I'll just let you take off with it, Chaz. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Sure. So... I guess we'll start with the basics. Um, my name is Chaz. My last name is Smith. Uh, I'm 29. I'll be uh, ancient, being 30 years old uh, on April 8th. <laughs> Did you say you're going to be ancient at 30? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I run a, a nonprofit that I started called Be the Change YYC. Um, that's kind of where um, my passion is. But uh, where I spend a lot of my free time and um, where the uh, kind of good work comes from. So, uh, well, what got you? What got you interested in starting your own uh, non-for-profit to begin with? Yeah. So my background is uh, 2010, 2011. I worked at the youth shelter. Uh, Avenue 15, downtown mm. Calgary. Okay. And I worked with um, the Calgary Homeless Foundation on the 10 year plan to end youth homelessness. Mm-hmm. So, from that work, um, that actually came on because I had lived experience. So, from the ages of 15 to 18, I experienced homelessness um, and I was on and off the streets, kind of in different children's service programs. Mm. Um, I came from a pretty tumultuous home life and there was a lot of different, um, things going on, uh, during, uh, when I grew up. And so by that period of time, uh, I ended up in a children, in children's services and uh, homelessness became, um, my life as I aged. Um, so yeah, that uh, kind of put me on a platform um, to kind of set me up with uh, some lived experience, some of that knowledge that uh, drives my passion for mm-hmm. being able to uh, support people that are experiencing homelessness as I personally get it. And then um, working in the sector, I understand a lot of the policy and kind of the bureaucracy that hand that... Uh, have a play in, in what kind of um, kind of progresses homelessness and contributes to homelessness in many ways. Yeah. 
Yeah, you would. You'd gain a definite uh, understanding, like an insider understanding of the whole process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what led you to um, to be homeless from, from when you were younger. I don't know if there's any of that you'd want to talk about. Um, but I imagine it was strenuous, right? That pu- pushes a young fella out of the house like that. Um, obviously, things weren't great. Um, and, and so some of the, the places that you would, if you were talking to like a young person now, or, or when you go and talk to young people, what do you tell them? Like, what, what was your experience like out there? Uh, my experience. So I, I think that, you know, we're all just trying to do the best we can. And I think that we have to uh, have some ability in our heart as we grow to, uh, for starters, have some forgiveness and acceptance, some radical acceptance, because today uh, I have a great relationship with both my parents. Mm. Um, and that is not something that I had when, when I was younger. My yeah. parents were uh, really young, uh, when they had me, and um, there was a lot of abuse, uh, mm-hmm. like physical type of abuses that that went on. Um, I, I know a lot of the things um, that happened. I, I wouldn't wish on on any child. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I aged, I know that children's services was in my life from probably some of my earliest memories. I remember social workers coming mm-hmm. to check in on us and you know make sure that we were okay. And mm-hmm. at the age of 12, I think, uh, when I started to reach that age of, uh, no, not, not every child is growing up in a, in a household quite like this. Uh, and my parents actually separated. And, and that was the first time that, uh, I was sent to kind of, you know, live with my, my grandparents versus being, uh, with my, my parents and kind of just hopped around at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just, those are really important years of your life as, as mm. you're changing. And very much so. Um, it's important, I think, when I talk to youth, is to keep an open perspective. We don't know what tomorrow brings, we don't know what the future brings. Um, things are always changing. And it's okay to be open to that change and kind of embrace what that brings. Yeah. Cool. That seems like wise words. So, so right now, um, well, not right now, let's, we'll work our way to the pandemic that's happening now. Um, so mm-hmm. tell us, tell us some about, some about what you do, uh, with Be The Change. I love the name of your organization. Um, and Thanks. yeah, you're welcome. It just, it always reminds me of Gandhi. And, uh, yeah. and so every time I see your, your, your name, I'm thinking of, of Gandhi, which is a lovely association for me. So, um, <laughs> And so I really appreciate that. So, so on a normal day-to-day basis, what does your organization do? So on a normal daily basis right now, uh, we're, you know, we have an outreach phone. So we're just walking the streets uh, right now on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we're connecting in person with people. Other days might look like meeting up with a client and uh, helping uh, emotionally support them through uh, you know, navigating kind of the, uh, the boundaries in the system, mm-hmm. um, or connecting via our outreach phone, uh, with clients, um, and, you know, the advocacy piece, which I think is huge in the end. Huge. Yeah. And I, I see that as being a big part of what you do, um, is, 
your advocacy piece. So have you always been interested in um, advocating for change in the system? Well, I think as a, as a, uh, a young person who had no impact to make change for the better in my life, mm-hmm. I think it's only fitting that in the future I would want to advocate for change to help others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you might think that, but I think there's a lot of people that go the other way. Um, and I can appreciate your humility, and I, I do appreciate it very much so. But I think the, the reality is, is that lots of people who go through what you've gone through, what, what other people have gone through, they don't turn out trying to give back, right? Um, so I, I think that it's, it's okay to not minimize that, because I think you're doing a hell of a thing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and on that, I think that, um, you know, there's a good saying that says, love your neighbor as mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. And what we forget is that we have to love ourselves in order to mm-hmm. love our neighbor. Um, and when you go through some of the experiences I've gone through, um, and a lot of the people that I see uh, experiencing homelessness have gone through, is they really have forgotten to love themselves. Mm. Um, and that makes it really difficult for them to be able to, you know, love their neighbors and, and love their community till they relearn yeah. what that means. And doesn't it, doesn't it make it very hard too for them to accept love, right? Yeah, when, when it's being given, hey? Yeah. 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 And so as part of the, um, the advocacy piece, uh, you, just, you mentioned earlier you sent a couple of letters off. What else are you doing right now to advocate on behalf of um, the people who are homeless, but also who are you advocating for? Mm-hmm. So uh, we're advocating for um, people that are uh, living in, in the homeless shelters right mm-hmm. now. Okay. So what I've been doing uh, for weeks here um, is sending letters, of course, to every level of the government. Um, I was really happy with uh, City Council and Mayor Nenshi. They uh, had um, responded with the right tactic, I think, which was uh, providing space for uh, people that are homeless to have hotels. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the province uh, stepped in um, and they overruled the city and have implemented kind of a warehousing uh, shelter system. So what it uh, what the concern is, of course, is that um, the transmission of COVID nineteen mm-hmm. in that population, this population, is um, you know inherently kind of at risk because they live in, um, you know, chronic stress, uh, lack of nutrition, mm-hmm. you know, in a room full of hundreds of people who are coughing, sneezing, and mm-hmm. uh, whatnot. There's a lack of sleep. Um, there's underlying health conditions. So when COVID-19 um, started to emerge and, and we started to really see how contagious and how deadly it could be, they started to tell us to um, social distance. And yeah. right away, I said, that's not possible in the current uh, shelter system. You know, they put hundreds of people uh, uh, all laying on floors, uh, on mats, on the ground, in the same room, right next to each other, sometimes half a, mm-hmm. half a foot away. Mm-hmm. Um, that just is a recipe for disaster. Uh, we're all sitting here, you know, staying home, kind of living uh in luxury here and uh, we think that we're flattening the curve when there is a whole population that is at risk themselves but not just their lives are at risk but all of us and Mm -hmm. the whole 
the whole of what we're trying to do as a city is at risk by allowing um, that population to have to live in those circumstances. Yeah, no, absolutely. Without question. Was there, did the province give a reason for, for going against the hotels? What was their reason? Yeah. So the province, um, um, the minister of social services, she was quoted saying that it would take too long to uh, retrofit hotels to meet um, suicide prevention. So she said that they needed to remove shower curtains and cords and chains off of light fixtures, for example. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah. And, and that's just sort of my reaction. I, um, I think we all, we all know that if somebody has an intent to, to harm themselves, um, that they're going to find a tool. And I don't think that that is a good excuse to not give um, the humans the dignity of sleeping in a bed that they could have. Yeah, it's a terrible um, excuse. Yeah, it's 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 really terrible. And um, what has come out of that even is um, the newest article. She's saying now that um, this kind of warehousing of the homeless, of hundreds in the room in the the convention center downtown, might even cost more than giving uh, each homeless person their own hotel. <laughs> of course, it will, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. They just don't, they don't get it, man. Um, yeah. It's interesting that then she, of course, gets it, got it anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I didn't realize the province could actually overrule the city. I didn't realize they could yeah, do that. In a, in a provincial state of emergency, they, they have adopted that, mm. that right to gotcha. be able to do that. So it oversteps our uh, municipal state of emergency. Okay, that makes sense. I, for, I, yeah, I got I got lost on the state of emergency, whether it was Calgary or Alberta or now it's the country, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So the federal can overrule everything else, I guess now. Potentially, yeah. if they choose. Yeah. I, you know that the excuse they gave about the hotel, like it's so ridiculous, hey? Because what yeah. would be the percentage of people that would even attempt suicide? It must be less than one percent. Like it would, mm -hmm. pro I I can't do the math right out of my head, but it must be mm -hmm. less than one percent. So they canceled it based on a potential danger that would have maybe affected less than one percent. And then yeah. by putting a hundred people at risk, you've basically now made it uh, more possible for COVID nineteen to have an impact on the health of those people. Yeah. Wow. And they're all. Uh, in that convention center sharing. Um, so I can't remember the exact capacity. I think she said 400. Yeah. And those 400 people will all be touching the same toilets, the same oh. sinks, using the same bathrooms, potentially, you know, touching the same walls. And of course they uh, have procedure to keep those things clean, but um, you can't keep the homeless in that facility all day. Oh. The other thing. They're wandering around mm -hmm. um, on outreach. Um, some of the ones I came across um, had been taking buses and transit all day yeah. to stay warm because it's been cold. So when we're talking about um, a virus spreading in a, in a, throughout the city mm -hmm. in a vulnerable population, that is exactly the recipe that is, is being created there. Oh, and to God. use an excuse of um, the suicide mitigation yeah. uh, that they had to to retrofit, uh, many studies would actually indicate that keeping people warehoused in that sort of mass industrial shelter system uh, actually creates more mental health 
Um, and I mean, not to mention people aren't sleeping well. Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> One homeless said to me when I asked, you know, why aren't you staying there? He said, well, I mean, people are coughing the whole time. What do you do when somebody coughs around you right now? And I was like, yeah, I mean, everyone's head turned when yeah. a single person coughs. And you want to put hundreds of people in one room and expect them all to sleep? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, so, I mean, I've worked during the best of circumstances. I used to work in shelters, and I, I've worked in the mm -hmm. best of circumstances, and it's impossible to keep people from each other like impossible because mm -hmm. it's yeah. just the way it's built, right? It's built to be, to fill one big room with a, as many mats as you can possibly fill. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, back in the day, geez, there might've been like three inches between mats, right? At the mm -hmm. old DI when I worked there. <clears throat> that's, that's crazy, man, to imagine that they're going to move them into the convention center and expect it not to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they do have the, um, and that's something to point out too, is they have cots uh, oh, okay. on the floor and they are uh, that, that um, distance apart that they're supposed to be. But at the same time, that uh, may slow down COVID, but we know like what you're saying is we're not going to be able to keep them from touching common surfaces or yeah. each other. Uh, and what's crazy though is they have a, uh, a cot off the floor, which is, actually a step up from most shelters that is a they step get a up. pillow and they get a blanket which also is a step up from other shelters so this new shelter is not going to solve the situation mm. but it is a bit of a step up from their current situation well i'm glad to hear that much hey at least they put that much thought into it mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. geez because i mean and un god the three inches apart or but how are they going to yeah. be? How are they going to stay six feet apart when they have to use the same bathroom? Yeah, right. Like, there's, there's yeah. it's impossible. They have to eat in the same location too, right? I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Assu mm -hmm. How and they do the tables set up do to, to okay. have that distancing? But again, it's going through the doorways, the yeah. washrooms. Yeah. At some point, you're sharing the same common surface to his. So. Yeah. And so, what have they done in terms of food there for the convention center? What are they doing? Uh, so it looks like the hotel, uh, I want to say it's the Marriott that's kind of attached there and mm. they have a big industrial kitchen. Yes. So that's going to be, um, how they, they eat. Okay, good. So they've got the food thing figured out. That's good. Yeah. Right. And on. most hotels have, you know, restaurants and those same industrial type kitchen mm. attached to them. And, uh, I think that that would have been the better option. I mean, ultimately, housing the homeless is the option. Yeah. But yeah. if we can't give them all housing, it's the least we could do, I think, is, is hotels. I mean, yeah. this is going to be months um, mm -hmm. of this going on. Uh, when the weather warms up, uh, oh. what are they going to do all day? <laughs> it's going to be a nightmare outside. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so we're not thinking about the future, I don't think, and creating a, a more long-lasting solution. This mm -hmm. is very temporary, and I don't think it's gonna uh, gonna be effective enough. Yeah, I think you're right. I, it just sounds like a disaster, right? Like when yeah. you and talking about riding the buses all day or the trains, like, and if they close mm -hmm. that down, well, then you're gonna have people walking together, <laughs> like everywhere. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's that's just crazy. I just the as you said that about the buses and stuff, it just 
entered in another part of the equation, you know? Yeah. The things that people don't, they're not always aware of, that mm-hmm. they're not, they're not thinking about, you know, we, we at Be The Change, we do street level outreach. We are boots on the ground. We interact directly mm-hmm. with these clients. We ask them, we listen to them, what they're, what they're saying, what they're doing. So we're not, you know, um, in offices kind of, <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we have that that frontline kind of view of what's really happening. Yeah, because you're there working with people who are struggling, right? You're not just yeah. looking at it from a screen or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and and that, that's one of the things I really, I mean, there's a lot about what you do that kind of, well, more than impresses me, but I just have such great respect for your <clears throat> on-the-street, boots-on-the-ground approach to it. Um I think it makes a huge difference, especially in your advocacy piece. You know, mm-hmm. have you um, have you gotten much like what's the feedback from the well, we'll start with municipal um, from the municipal mm-hmm. government to what you're doing? Yeah, so the municipal government is uh, uh, an amazing, actually, our, mm-hmm. our um, we should be really proud of Mayor Nenshi and the city council that we have. I know uh, Councillor Jahal and uh uh, Councillor Gondek has been super personable and really easy to talk to. Mm, um, to and I know that Mayor Nenshi has been very outspoken that um, towards the solution being the hotels for the mm. time being. Yeah. Um, so our city council, I, I think, is doing a great job if it wasn't for the interference at the <laughs> provincial level. Yeah. I think we would have been better set for public safety as a city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Hey, I'm glad to hear that though, because like in general, do you have good, um, good feedback from the municipal government? Like before the pandemic, were you having were able to work with them easily and smoothly? Uh, city council's been generally pretty personable, mm-hmm. I would say. Right yeah. on, right on. So, so now the problem is with the province. So, you did you send? You mentioned you sent some letters this week. Did you send a couple to the province or? Yeah, I ha- I've actually been uh, sending letters for a few, quite a few, actually. All mm-hmm. my all my days are mushing together. I want to say three <laughs> weeks, and yeah. since the very beginning, uh, we were sending letters. Uh, we went to MLAs, even um, a step above provincial. We sent letters to MPs mm-hmm. and even the prime minister's office, um, kind of making calls for housing uh, immediately because I recognized that this was uh, the risk that this population faced. And mm. when I looked at the homeless uh, clients I was serving, um, I saw no greater risk in Calgary to uh, the public health care system than what uh, I saw in the homeless population. There's no other density of that many high-risk individuals anywhere else in the city mm. except for in those shelters. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right, man. That would that that is where the most that's where people gather, right? Like yeah. even after the no gathering, and they have to gather because otherwise they could die because it's been super yeah. cold outside. Like it's not like they could stay outside. Um, yeah. Although lots try to camp camp it out because the shelters are scary for them, right? For lots of reasons. Um, yeah. But uh, the yeah, it's just so interesting that the the province would just poo poo that. Um, based on some really bad in- information, right? But it seems like this pro- provincial government has been getting bad information. It's kind of a part of their whole MO right now. It seems like they're full of bad information. 
you know, and that's not a criticism on it. It's just the way the government is, right? Like they're mm -hmm. they seem to be acting out of like complete um, unreasonableness. I know that's not a word, but you know, I and they cite some bureaucratic kind of red tape as their their excuse to not do better. Mm -hmm. um, and I often wonder what uh, you know what the intent is to keep. Um, the sector running the way it is. We all know that the cost, you know, it's well out there. Tim Rector from the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness uh, was very clear in their research at the Homeless Hub when they identified the cost of institution, the institutionalization was 66000 to $120,000 per individual per year, um, and that the cost of running a shelter could be $40,000 per person per year. So we know that housing individuals with support is actually the same cost as running the shelters. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, if, if people were to be housed, then there's a whole sector that wouldn't have jobs. And there's a whole sector of people that wouldn't be able to make the money that they're currently making. Um, so I wonder if there is an intent to keep people uh, in poverty to keep them reliant on these symptoms uh, on these systems so that um, they aren't freed from it because mm -hmm. then the money would have to go elsewhere um, yeah and that would be ultimately the question is that really what is happening here yeah with I, these solutions well and that's that's a good question and that really does bring up the conspiratorial the conspiracy theorist in me <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. says, like, because I, I wonder the same thing that you're saying. Like, I wonder about, is this on purpose? Like, was the yeah. decision to not do the hotels? Because if you ask me, I would say it seems like it's on purpose. It, it seems like, because I don't really believe that these government people are stupid. I don't. What yeah, I believe is I they all have motives, right? Mm -hmm. And and the motives are what drive the behavior, not necessarily ignorance or or. Um, or stupidity. It's not, I don't believe that. I believe that it's, it's motivated by what is status quo and what is least likely to cause, um, ripples. and ripples. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's, that's, uh, I would suggest that is for sure what it looks like mm -hmm. uh, in this scenario. I think that, uh, in, in the most recent letter I sent to the government, um, the premier and chief medical officer and the minister of social services, I said, you know, you could be the greatest minister and the greatest government that Alberta has ever had, or even potentially that Canada has ever had mm -hmm. by making the right choice here. Yeah. God, they could be. <laughs> yeah. They, could they be. really, yeah. truly could be. Cause right now it is looking, you know, so I, I've had a lot of news coverage, lots of interviews lately. Most recently we did, uh, it was two days ago, it was the press release and um, actually the, the NDP asked me to kind of join them in their press release. Uh, I, I try to be nonpartisan, mm -hmm. but this was a really great platform to be able to talk about homelessness at this press release. Yeah. So I joined them in that that particular moment for that conversation. Mm -hmm. And what I said was, you know, where is our humanity at when we have the opportunity to choose between a cot or a bed, and we are choosing to give people a cot? That, mm -hmm. to me, 
that doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. And the cost is the same. That's yeah. what gets me. Um, and now the minister is saying in other news sources that um, the cost could actually be slightly higher to give them this mass industrial kind of warehouse system. Yeah, because if you, we can't even measure the cost of what, of what it actually costs through the day when, when the individuals aren't at the shelter. Right, like, mm-hmm. what's the cost to the community um, when they're co- people are constantly getting arrested for or ticketed or whatever for being yeah. where they're not supposed to be, right? Like, yeah. and, and literally, that would be gone if people had a place to go, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, and, yeah. and I'm not saying it's going to be gone for everybody. There's always bad apples, right? Like, in every walk mm-hmm. of life, there's bad apples who are just going to try to get what they need to get whatever that looks like to them. But the majority of people, that's not the case. If you give people a home, chances are they're going to go back there, <laughs> right? Like yeah. they might yeah. go out and do stuff, but they're going to go home. They're, they're yeah, not exactly. going to get caught in vestibules in the middle of winter um, because mm-hmm. it's minus 30 and they need a place to sleep so they don't die, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's a great point. Um, I'll, I'll just share from our stats um, that we took on April 1st. Um, that Wednesday, uh, in the three-hour period we were out, we helped 73 homeless individuals. Of those 73, 45 said that they would be sleeping outside, yeah. uh, sleeping rough, as we call it. Mm. Um, when we asked them their reasoning, they said they didn't feel safe going to the shelters. Yeah. Um, I, I recall right off the top of my mind here, the one, the one guy said, well, would you stay there? <laughs> yeah, so how do we blame them? Exactly. For- uh, for not wanting to stay there. And it's cold outside. It's been freezing the past yeah. few days. And these individuals would rather face that than have to go into these shelters. Yeah. Um, you know, we know affordable housing, giving people housing, like you're saying, the, the police calls, the, the ambulance calls mm-hmm. even, um, that all of those sort of bylaw things, they end up costing us more as taxpayers mm-hmm. to kind of, deal with the, the, the repercussions of, of a person being homeless than yeah. it would be to actually just give them free housing. Um, yeah. There's many researchers yeah. that indicate the cost is much lower to, to house somebody. Mm-hmm. We can save in the, in the city alone um, with over $200 million last time I looked by instating affordable housing for all 3,000 of our homeless. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is all homeless hub. Yeah. Um, you can find those research and the published uh, analysis that I'm, I'm referring to. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. Cause I mean, obviously I'm, I'm more for housing with supports. Uh, and mm-hmm. the reason I'm with for housing with supports is because I understand that, um, living on the street, as you understand, it becomes an institutionalization, right? And the supports for however long they need to last uh, are, I think, essential. Um, But it's also easier when you just have a place to go, right? Like one of the things that always bugged me about when I worked in the shelters, it still bugs me, is that there's no place during the day for people to go that need to sleep and that need to be left alone. Um, Instead, these everyone's, you know, like having to wander around and find a place to go, which eventually gets them in trouble, right? Yeah. If, especially if it's a private, a private facility or a private property, like it just, there's a no win, you know? Yeah. 
Mm. You know, and that's why um, my team, we our, our end result was to have a sort of outreach center to kind of have drop-in services to address that, mm. that immediate concern. Yeah. Um, with, of course, laundry. Um, I had one client, he, you know, kind of jack-of-all-trades guy. Uh, he, he was sleeping rough in a tent. Um, and he couldn't do laundry. So, so you could imagine he's going to job interview after job interview, not able to shower or, mm. or wash his clothes. It, it took him a couple of years to really kind of uh, figure that, that out with some support. But these are the kind of basic barriers that we're talking about here, mm. for sure. Yeah, and, and they are basic, right? They're basic. And mm. you know what's interesting, Chaz, and it's not interesting in necessarily a, a positive way, but it's interesting mm. that, even 25 years ago, we, we still were trying to figure out what to do during the day, right? And, and the answer is, obviously, let's get people housed, right? Like, yeah. Because there's just, it's very hard to find uh, any organization that's willing to open their doors all day for people who are going to be coming and going, right? Yeah. And it's hard because of the, you know, some of the byproducts that come along with that. You're going to have those bad apples that ruin it for everyone else, right? Yeah. And I say bad apples. I don't mean they're bad people. I just mean they're behaving in a way that's yeah. more destructive to people and themselves. Really, that's yeah, all. I, I mean, I mean yeah. people have some trauma and might require more more uh, support than other people. As yeah. you know, trauma can be loud, but not everyone um, has that same trauma. Exactly. Right? Trauma is pretty unique. Exactly. And it expresses itself uniquely in depending on experiences and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Right on. So, um, you have anything else you want to tell us, man, about what you're up to? And also, if you don't mind telling people where, um, how they can reach you and how they can get in touch with you if they do need help. Absolutely. So, um, if, if we, if there's, uh, a person at risk of or experiencing homelessness, mm -hmm. they can uh, text or call our outreach phone. Um, and that phone number is 587-224-9114. Yeah. So can you uh, we do also it one more time? It's 587-224-9114. And that's the outreach yeah. number. Yep. Okay. And we also have, um, you know, our social media. We have our Instagram, Facebook, mm. yeah. and Twitter, and that's at Be The Change YYC. At Be uh, The our Change. Our website. Okay. Sorry. No, go ahead. It, it's at Be The Change YYC. Our website uh, is currently down, just having some technical difficulties. It should be back up in the next week or two, and that's Be The Change YYC.org. YYC. Org. Okay, yeah. perfect. So is there anything else you want to tell people, man? If you're, if you have something you can say to, what would it be if you could talk to people out there right now? You know, I, I think what I, what I'm just telling people is when it comes to homelessness, um, we need to think of, you know, how do we love them the way that we would want to be loved mm. in that situation? Um, you know, people should have beds. Yeah. Um, they don't need cots or mats on the floor. It's, it's inhumane, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, uh, where is the effort? Is it housing them or is yeah. it trying to keep a sector afloat? Um, yeah. Follow the money. And yeah. if we can 
do better, we should do better. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed, man. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a strange thing. Hey, the, the system has to change, but it's going to be, it means people are going to have to adapt with it into whatever it turns into. Right. And that's scary. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. Well, man, change I, can sorry, be a grieving pro. Change can be a grieving process, right? Because it's mm. it's the loss of something we knew and trying to adapt uh, to something. Yeah, so, absolutely, so. man. Well, Chaz, thank you so much for coming on, man, and talking to us. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me and wanting to tell the story and and advocate for people yeah. that are homeless. Absolutely, I I can't think of a of a better person out there right now than you. Cause you know what? I, I look around and I mean, there's so many people who have taken up the, the, their own mission to help other people. And I, I know it's because they see people like yourself doing it every day in the community. So thank you for what you do, man. That's very generous. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, man. You take care of yourself, Chaz. Thank you so much. You too. Okay, man. See you. you Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.